Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where anyone and everyone who cannot bear the thought of remaining trapped in a status quo version of Christianity can find a home. Religious traditions eventually suffocate us. Empty church trends almost always leave us in the shallow end of the pool. But kingdom truth straight from God's word spiritually transforms us. And if you desire this, then you too are likely a maverick and a misfit. And now, here is our host, a Christian whose entire ministry has challenged the religious system, Jeff Lyle. Welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits, everybody. I hope that those of you that uh, celebrate Christmas are enjoying uh, this season. I hope it feels like Christmas to you. Every year is different. Some seasons in Christmas time vary from year to year. Uh, there were a couple of years in a row where it felt like anything but Christmas to me personally. And uh, might have even been a little grinchy. I don't know. That's possible. You'd have to ask my wife and kids. They'd probably be able to better assess it. But that's not the that's not the case this year or um, hopefully any years in the future. You know, um, say what you will about Christmas. Some Christians have convictions that it's uh, rooted in pagan stuff and they don't want to have anything to do with that. It's fine. I totally respect that. But I celebrate it as unto the Lord. It's the one time in America on the calendar where at least um, superficially, at the very least, um, you know, the, the fo- thoughts and focus uh, might be landing upon Jesus, who's the Lord of my life. And I don't mind walking in the malls and hearing a couple of songs about Jesus. So it doesn't bother me a bit. And yeah, all the other stuff's pretty commercialized and, um, you know, maybe materialistic. But uh, for me, Christmas is about celebrating the Son of God and His coming incarnate, becoming one of us. And it's also about things that are holy, like family and love and generosity and giving. So I hope if you uh, do celebrate it, you'll keep those things in the forefront. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, don't be mad at those of us who do. Just go ahead and, you know, grit your teeth and bear it. And <laughs> there's worse things in the world than uh, uh, Christians who uh, take, a, take a moment in the culture and celebrate the Son of God. But uh, regardless of what your personal views are on it, I hope that uh, you're doing well right now. You know, it was uh, two years ago this week where I had, um, I, I will call it a revelation. Um, it was not 100% supernatural, but um, it was the beginning of a journey for me um, that lasted a full year, and it radically changed my life. What am I talking about? It was two years ago this week that um, I knew in my spirit that I had cancer. Um, let me give you a little bit of a backdrop for those of you that don't know my story and aren't familiar with the the cancer part of it, because I don't talk about it a whole lot. It didn't define me. It just kind of owned me for about a year. But um, while in the late months of 2019, uh, fall of 2019, um, a lump appeared on the right side of my neck that was visible um, and I figured it was a cold. Um, it, it started really sh- showing up on the week of Thanksgiving of 2019. And, um, I just thought it was cold, swollen glands or whatever. Um, and did what a lot of guys do. I just kind of ignored it. And, um, when, when I got back, um, it just so happened that because of our television ministry, some viewers, Apparently, in one of the sermons that had aired the week or the week before Thanksgiving, uh, they had noticed it. And I had a couple of emails saying, hey, you need to get that thing checked out. And um, 
so I was reluctant. I didn't really want to fool with it. We were busy. It was um, just an intense time of the year. And I didn't really feel like fooling with it, to be honest with you. I wasn't really scared. I just typical male. I didn't want to fool with it. It'll go away on its own kind of thing. Well, as I was praying, we were doing a three-day fast, and I was praying. And um, during the fast, I, I heard the voice of the Lord just tell me, um, this is a sickness not unto death. And I heard that. It kind of gripped me. If you're not familiar with that, that is the the words of our king and he said it uh, in the scriptures he was he was talking about Lazarus in John 11 and he told the sisters of uh, excuse me he told the disciples that speaking of Lazarus that his sickness was not going to end in death but the sickness was actually allowed for the glory of God and of course Lazarus's sickness was not just a sickness but he physically died um, the point being is that Jesus says there's going to be way more to the story than Lazarus's physical battle and I heard that in my spirit, and I knew right then that um, something was up. I remember I have a good friend named Art, and Art was on my security detail at the church, and we were walking across the parking lot, and he noticed it, and he just asked me privately. I said, well, um, I know it's not going to be death, but it is going to be a battle. So I knew it. And just a couple of weeks after that, uh, I got the official diagnosis from the biopsies that I had a tumor. And uh, we did everything that Christians do. For those of you that... Um, wonder, Jeff, what's your attitude about uh, supernatural healing, the gift of healing, faith for healing, and how did how did you wrestle through that when you had cancer? Well, l- let me just tell you, it's multi-layered, and um, there's some things I can say very clearly that I, I want you to know, um, but there's also some things that I had to learn, and some of you that are listening may have a loved one that is currently battling cancer or some other impossible disease, humanly speaking. Uh, some of you yourselves may be sick and wondering, you know, how do I deal with this thing mentally, emotionally, spiritually? How do I approach it volitionally? Like, what will I do? Um, and so immediately, um, everything I believed uh, about sickness, affliction, and healing I was no longer theological. It had to become very practical for me. So again, the first thing that the Lord shared with me, and it was very private and it was during fasting, is that I wasn't going to die. There was never a single moment where I thought I was going to die, but there was just a a short couple of days where I wanted to die because of uh, what I was enduring through the treatments, but I never thought I would die. Um, I did what all Christians should do when you get a diagnosis like cancer or any disease that there's no natural medical proven cure for. Um, I did what, what I would do the same way I, when I've got like a massive headache or something like that, I go to the Lord. And so there was lots of praying, Lord, remove this thing from me. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I believe that through the atonement, that healing um, power is available to me. And I'm asking you to heal me. Um, I was anointed with oil as prescribed by James five, because that's what the Bible says to do. If anybody's sick, call on the elders, let them anoint you with oil. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. So I did that. Um, I have good friends that, um, are stewarding a very powerful revival in North Georgia called the North Georgia revival in Dawsonville and, uh, pastor Todd Smith and pastor Marty Derricott, um, have for, I mean, going on four years have been stewarding um, an amazing revival that people that are water baptized have experienced physical healings and they're documented. This is not some hyped up thing. Um, they're documented healings. And so I went up there and was baptized um, in connection to my cancer. And so 
at the same time I was doing these things and praying and believing God for healing, um, we were also taking a medical route. Now, let me pause here because some people say, well, that's why, Jeff, you didn't get the supernatural or miraculous healing. Because if you had faith, then you never even would have gone to the doctor. You wouldn't have bothered with it because you would have known and believed that God healed you. The fact that you went the medical route shows that you never believed it. That's fine if you want to think that. When you walk in my shoes and you walk in the shoes of those that have uh, diseases like that, um, maybe you'll think differently. But you get to the point where you're like, okay, Jesus, my eyes are on you. My ears are open to you. I'm listening for you. And I'm going to do everything I know to do. And so reading through scriptures is very interesting to me that when the apostle Paul, who had clearly the gift of healing, I mean, he raised people from the dead. He healed people constantly. He flowed in that miraculous power. But do you remember who one of his traveling companions were? (laughs) He was a medical physician named Luke, Dr. Luke. Paul had him on his missionary journeys. Luke wrote the book of Acts that details and chronicles Paul's missionary journey. So Paul had the gift of faith and Paul didn't say, well, we don't need any doctors. Luke, stay home, treat people here. We're going to be gone. I've got the gift of healing. Um, By the way, if you also want to analyze it, Paul had a friend named Epaphroditus and Epaphroditus was with Paul as they were ministering and Epaphroditus had a sickness that almost killed him according to Paul's testimony. And then Paul mentions another place that he had another ministry companion named Trophimus. And he's writing to Timothy and he says, I had to leave Trophimus at Miletus, that's a city, because he was sick. And so the fact that somebody has faith and ability to heal does not necessarily guarantee that a physical healing is going to come through supernatural means. And God is not opposed to natural medicine. And frankly, this is what I told the Lord. I said, Lord, I know you're going to heal me, whether it's miraculously or medicinally, you've got my attention. I'm trusting you. I'm dependent upon you. So now that we cleared that up for all of the naysayers out there, I ended up going to the doctor and, uh, it was a Christian man, um, an ENT surgeon. And, um, he went in, they did all of the tests. Long story short, they had to cut this tumor out of the side of my neck, which was about the size of a small orange. And they took it out. And, um, then they said, Jeff, you're going to need to do six weeks of intense radiation And you're going to do a few rounds of chemotherapy because um, if this thing spreads, the location of it is um, really, really dangerous. And the surgery, the first doctor surgeon saw the tumor. It was overlaying my jugular and my carotid artery. And the first surgeon said, no, (laughs) he said, I am not touching that too close to the jugular, too close to the carotid. One small mistake and Jeff, you'll bleed out and you will die. And so that's when I found this other surgeon who was a Christian and he was like, let's do this. He was so focused and we talked about the Lord and he told me what he was going to do. And he ended up having a very successful surgery and then began the radiation and the chemotherapy. And again, what's interesting is literally the week I began my radiation, this was post-surgery, the week I began my radiation was um, in March of 2020 when all of the COVID restrictions happened. So the country goes on shutdown. I'm going to the hospital every day, five days a week for six weeks, getting radiation on my neck. And then in between some of those radiation sessions, I'm getting chemotherapy. And the first three weeks were, were cakewalk, man. It was easy. I mean, it really was. I noticed a little dryness in my throat, a little scratchiness and everything. They said, well, Jeff, um, you know, the, around the fourth week, it's going to turn bad. And I'm like, nah, y'all are, y'all are just, y'all don't know my Lord. My Lord's going to prevent any of this affliction from coming up on me. I'm getting through this thing. I'll be back to work in a few weeks. And, you know, I really did believe. And 
quite honestly, um, I was wrong. Um, almost exactly the fourth week. I mean, it was like a pivot point. It, it radically changed on me. The radiation, neck and head cancer, when you have it in that area, uh, they centralize the radiation on, on my neck. And so it completely destroyed all of the uh, mucous membranes in the throat that uh, enable swallowing. We, d- we don't recognize this, but your throat is constantly producing lubrication. And apart from that lubrication, you cannot swallow solid foods. And you can even have a difficulty swallowing some liquids. And so all of those dried up. Um, there was a constant buildup of, um, I just it's kind of gross, but it's cottony kind of stuff that was in my throat that I had to hack up every 15 minutes. And it, that was 24 hours a day. So literally for about three weeks, the final three weeks of radiation, I was constantly hacking up this stuff every 15 minutes. So while I'm asleep, while I'm awake, and there, there was just no, no rest whatsoever. And then, of course, I couldn't eat. And so I went 36 days without any kind of solid food, just trying to get down some, some uh, liquid stuff. But what's interesting to me is the radiation was a struggle. I'm not going to lie to you. It was really a struggle. But what, what, what got me was the chemotherapy and the first round of chemotherapy is no big deal. But that second round of chemotherapy was about the fifth or the sixth week of my, uh, no, it's the fourth week of my, my radiation treatment. And it so crushed me that there was about a 48, 72 hour period where, um, I was just saying, Lord, I, I'm done. I can't do this. Please. I would love to go home and be in heaven. Um, chemotherapy, I mean, it, it does what it's supposed to do. It kills cancer. It kills cancerous cells. It's poison, but it also goes in and and does a real number on everything good in your body. So I was literally, you know, living in this kind of poisoned state and it was terrible to the extent, um, they wheeled me back in in a wheelchair for what was going to be my final chemotherapy session. And I just told the oncologist and the chemo doctor, I said, Nope, we are not doing it. He fought with me. I, I just finally looked at him. I said, you can't make me take these last rounds. I'm not doing it. And he said, well, it's your choice, but you're probably not going to recover. And I'm like, so be it. Well, so all of this, listen, I'm actually going to get to the spiritual stuff in a minute, but <laughs> I'm giving you a backdrop about real life stuff. All of this was a test for me. A couple of theological things that I want to tell you. God did not give me cancer. Apologies to all my Calvinist friends. God did not give me cancer. But to all of my Arminian friends, God did not prevent the cancer. And I won't tell you that, oh no, the devil snuck up and got me while God wasn't looking. No, Um, I do believe the enemy tried to take me out. I don't have any problems telling that uh, to you guys that are in the audience. I believe straight up it was warfare to wipe me out, to kill me to steal, kill, and destroy. I have no doubts about it whatsoever. It was a, an assignment of hell. But how many of you recognize that God will even allow Satan to do his bidding when God is determined to bring something to strengthen one of his children? You know, David, King David wrote in the 119th Psalm uh, some verses that are kind of unpopular with um, <laughs> a lot of Christians who believe, you know, God would never allow something difficult in the life of his children. David wrote in Psalm 119 and verse 67, he said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but it was good for me that I was afflicted because I learned your commandments. That affliction, friends, affliction in the life of the Christian um, is not something that God always prevents. 
That's why Paul wrote in Romans 12, he said, be patient in your trouble and pray continually. Well, if there weren't any trouble, then no need to be commanded to be patient in it. But Paul said, hey, Christians, y'all are going to get in trouble sometimes. You need to pray continually. David wrote again in Psalm 25, he said, I am desolate and afflicted, O Lord. Turn unto me and have mercy upon me. The troubles of my heart have grown. Bring me out of my distress. Look upon my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. And so there's something about sickness and affliction and a disease for me like cancer that was a, um, a very powerful, purifying, humbling, enlightening season. And it dominated, I'm telling you. Some would ask, well, Jeff, did you have sin in your life? Well, I'm, guys, this is what I want to say. I'm never going to be the guy who says I am 100% holy. But did I have ongoing sin in my life? Was there immorality in my life? Was I looking at pornography or was I, you know, lying or cheating on my wife? Or was I, you know, walking around in rage and love? No, I wasn't doing any of that stuff. But um, having said that, when, when you compare yourself to the son of God, then you will find out you're not holy. The only people that feel holy are people that are comparing themselves with those that are less holy, obviously less holy. So when I compare myself to Jesus, especially during that season, did did I need to be purified? Sure. I, I can tell you right now, today, you and I, we need to be purified. We need to be sanctified. You're not yet in glory. Therefore, you're not yet perfect. And so there's always a purifying work. And I have prayed my entire Christian life. Father, make me like Jesus, your son. I've prayed that my entire Christian life because I know that is the end result for the Christian, that when we see him, we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. So if the end, the, the end game for all Christians is that we become like Jesus, then the goal of the Christian life should be, Lord, make me like your son, Jesus. And so I've prayed that my entire Christian life. But in order to be made like Jesus, we have to be humble like Jesus. We have to be broken like Jesus. We have to be holy like Jesus. We have to be selfless like Jesus. And guys, human nature being what it is, there's no way that that stuff comes out of you without affliction. It's impossible. Did you remember this amazing statement that it says that Jesus, the son, learned obedience by the things that he suffered? What? Did you know that was in the Bible? It's in the Bible. It says in Hebrews 5, 8, that Jesus, although he was God's son, learned obedience by the things he suffered. The son of man had to suffer in order to step into everything that God the father had designed for God the son while God the son was being the son of man on earth. So even Jesus did not escape the reality of suffering on planet earth. And I will just say this, I don't think any of us should expect to get a free pass. Now, you can wrestle through with the Lord, you know, how he can be good and allow bad. Go ahead and wrestle. I, I actually encourage you to, instead of drawing conclusions saying, well, that can't be because God's good, therefore no bad can come my way. Well, listen, God is good, and he did not even allow Jesus Christ, his own son, to escape the reality of the sin curse on earth, which is what? That there will be affliction, pain, and trouble. Jesus had no sin, but the earth is sin cursed. Therefore, Jesus living on earth had to experience some of the effects of that curse, which was affliction and injustice and pain. All of that happened. And so you and I don't get a free pass. Now, the reality for a lot of us is this, is that we just don't know what to do with this issue 
of suffering. What do we do with it? What do we do with the issue of suffering as believers? Well, going back to my story, um, for those three or four days where I literally wanted to die, um, there was about a two and a half week period where um, I would wake up, I would go to radiation on a couple of days I did chemo, I would come home and I'd get right back into bed and I never did anything except go from the bed to the hospital back to the bed and I would just stay in my room and it was dark and Amy, Amy would have helped, but there's nothing she could do. I mean, they, she and Alicia would bring me stuff to drink, but there's nothing that they could do. Um, in the meantime, Landon during that same season had a terrible fall in a sporting accident and dislocated his shoulder. So he's getting physical therapy. I mean, it was just a time of just external chaos for my family. And during it all, this is what the Lord was doing. The Lord was working on me individually while he had me isolated. And this sounds weird, but just receive it as was. There were many days where I felt the presence of the Lord slip into that dark bedroom after I got back from radiation and Amy couldn't help. Alicia couldn't help. Landon couldn't help. Nobody could help. Um, and it was intentional from the Lord that he had to get me sequestered alone so he could speak to me about the condition of my soul. So he could speak to me about who he is and straighten out some of the things that I had probably begun to believe. I, 2018 into early 2019 was one of the most difficult times I've ever had in ministry. We were doing a second merge. My role was shifting and undefined and I was struggling and trying to figure out how to die to myself. The Lord had given me a word at the end of 2018 that I was about to enter into a season of decrease and that's all the beginning of 2019 was. And then 2019 ends with this uh, cancer situation. Now I'm into 2020 and I'm by myself in my room for several, a couple of weeks straight in darkness, having nobody to help me. And I literally felt like Jesus would just slip into the room when I got back each day from radiation. And I'm, this sounds weird, but just please, I felt like he'd get under the covers with me and just talk to me. And sometimes there would just be long periods of silence, but I supernaturally sensed that Jesus was in the room with me. And I'm going to make a statement. I don't want to sound super spiritual, but I just want to say those moments with me and him in that dark room with no ministry, no sense of being a husband, no sense of being a father, no sense of at all of being a pastor. As a matter of fact, I was sidelined from ministry completely for nearly the entire year. There were no sermons to be preached. There were no blogs to write, no videos to record. Nobody needed my help. It was just com coming to the end of myself on a, on a level I never had before. And it was beautiful. It was painful. Um, it was externally ugly. It was internally beautiful. It was externally horrific. It was internally glorious. Why? Because he was answering my prayers. And my prayers have been for decades. Lord, bring me to the end of myself. Bring me to the end of myself. Bring me to the end of myself. You know, we sing that stuff. We preach that stuff. We teach the theology behind it about taking up your own cross daily and denying yourself. And that's fine. I think we should sing about it. I think we should believe it. I think we should proclaim it and preach it. Jesus did. But eventually you have to do it. You, you actually have to do it. The people in your life actually have to do it. And until you do it, it's all theology and theory. It's not real. You see, what good is a theology if you don't actually experience it? I know a lot of people that believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit theologically, 
but they never press in for power. They never press in for the gifts. They, oh, that's out there. But so it stays in the realm of the theoretical. Well, with suffering, God never allows it to stay permanently in the realm of the theoretical. Suffering has to find you so you can find out where you are with Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, if you'll respond to it, your trust will deepen. Um, your hopes will grow so much more solid. You will come out of the cave of affliction with something you didn't have when you went into it. You'll have authority and wisdom in areas where you didn't before. But the most precious thing is this. You will share moments with your God that you cannot share with him when everything is going great. There is something about affliction and suffering that is not only purifying, but it is also empowering. Now, is, is faith tested? It is, but I remember what God had said through Paul when he said, there's no temptation or testing that has taken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the testing make a way of escape so that you can endure it. And so the reality of affliction and suffering and testing for the Christian is that God knows your limits. He will take you beyond your natural limits, but he will never take you beyond your ability to respond to his grace that he gives you when you're afflicted. Do you hear me on that? He will take you beyond your natural abilities. He'll take you out of yourself. He will not allow you to remain in your own strength, your own wisdom, your own skill, your own endurance, your own power. He will not. He will take you past that with the testing. But he will never take you past your ability to cooperate with the grace that he gives during your testing. In other words, he'll bring you out of yourself, but he'll bring you into himself. And so you will find their new grace. You will find there a component, a release, a impart, an impartation from him that will be sufficient for you to endure the test. Um, I got to the point where um, I had such peace. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I, I, I want to write about this. I've got one book already, and literally it was published the month before my official uh, a treatment began for cancer. It was literally released. Figuring Out As I Go came out in February of um, 2020, and my, my radiation chemo began in March of 2020. Um, my next book, I want to include a little bit about the cancer because the, the beauty of it is, is is golly, I, I hesitate to say this, but I'm I'm so glad he shepherded me through it. Now I would never sign up for it again. I wouldn't. But the fact of the matter is, is that he did not prevent it. He did allow it, and he did harness it. He used it. He took the worst thing physically that has ever happened to me and turned that thing inside out and made it one of the most profound, powerful, and enduring spiritual breakthrough seasons that I've ever had in my life. It was during those nine months where, um, you know, I took a sabbatical. I'd say I took it. My family and my, my blessed co-workers at uh, Newbridge Church at that time, they said, Jeff, this thing has hit you hard. You've gone 20-something years and have never taken a sabbatical. Take the rest of 2020 off. And I said, no, thank you. 
I did. I fought, man. I did not want to do it. I remember telling Billy and Dustin, this isn't the Lord. And then uh, Amy came in and I talked to her and I talked to the kids and I talked to everybody and everybody was in agreement that I needed to take the rest of 2020 off or at least most of it. And so uh, I was kind of pouting. I took my ball and went home for a little bit. It took a couple of weeks. And then after, you know, a few weeks, I realized, no, this is great because I'm not technically sick anymore. I'd come through chemo and radiation. I was on the mend. I finally started being able to eat again around the third week of June. Um, I was able to start swallowing solid foods again. Um, and so I was getting my strength back. And so July and August and September were three solid months where all I did was just fellowship with the Lord. And I began to hear God in a clear way that I'd never heard him before. And, um, during those months, I began to ask the question because listen, when you get a, you know, I'm in, I, at that time, I think I was 49, it was 49 and 50. It was kind of overlap my end of my 49th year and into my 50th year. And, um, I was starting to hear the Lord and I was like, Lord, what do you want? What do you want to do? What do you want us to do for the rest of my years? And, you know, ministry at that time, had just gotten Big man, Newbridge was exploding. I think pre COVID, we were right around 1,100 people a week and massive mission movements and just so many things going on. And, um, you know, when I got sidelined, I, I started realizing that's actually not what I'm made for. I'm made to shepherd a flock, I'm made to shepherd them via the Word of God. I love being in the same place and watching the same people move from stage to stage in their Christian life. I'm, I'm at this point, as far as I know, I'm not destined to be a global voice. I thank God for people that are, but I don't necessarily feel that that's my assignment. It may be regional, but not global. And um, I realized that the trajectory that God had Newbridge, it's now called Gate City, beautiful people, love them, love them, love them. But the trajectory he had them on was a different trajectory than what I was going to be on. And beautifully, during my absence, I recognized that church has enough human leadership to where they can make it without me. And so I began to hear the Lord at the end of 2020 saying to me, Jeff, you're done. No, Lord, I don't want to be done. I've been at Meadow slash Newbridge for, I think, uh, at that point, it would have been 27 years. And uh, I didn't want to quit. And uh, the more I prayed and waited, the more the Lord said, no, it's, this, is a, this is a reassignment season. You're 50 years old and I'm giving you your second commission. And so that's exactly what happened. And um, began to dialogue with my team there. And uh, nobody wanted me to go. And I appreciate that. We tried so hard to figure out how to make it work. And ultimately, I, I remember sitting in my office one day and I looked at Billy Humphrey, who was uh, my co-leader, along with Dustin Pennington. And Dustin was in a different office. And I just said, hey, Billy, I think it's time. And Billy's like, "Nah, man, we're going to make this work. And I just stopped. I, stopped. I looked him in the eye. I said, Billy, I'm done. It's time. And I remember we just sat there and we were in silence for about 30 seconds. He's like, oh, man. But we both knew. And so we started formulating the exit strategy. We cried a little bit. It was a real sweet moment. But then um, I went ahead and resigned. And what's crazy is I didn't have anywhere to go. <laughs> and so it was during that time, literally, uh, that uh, a contact was made from the church at Winder. And long story short, over the next, uh, I think, month and a half, two months, um, God opened up the door to the second uh, half of my ministry life. Um, I will tell you this. 
and I'm going to close right here. You'll never see me standing in line saying, please sign me up for another round of cancer. You'll never see that. I, I don't take any glory in suffering like, oh man, I want to suffer. I want to suffer. Oh, suffering's great. I don't take, I'm just not that guy. Um, but, but here's the, here's the, this is the rub. Um, I also don't feel like that any of us get a free pass on suffering if we really are living for the glory of Jesus. I appreciate all the people that think as long as you're walking in with the will of the Lord, nothing bad can happen around you or to you. That's just not biblical. Every single person we see in scripture that we admire suffered every single one of them. There's not a person in scripture that did not suffer something. And so for, you know, our 21st generation to think we have found the key to the kingdom and we're immune from suffering as long as we're in the will of God, that's just biblically foolish. And so we're going to suffer. I'm not going to sign up for it, but it'll find you. Paul said through much tribulation, we must enter into the kingdom of God. And um, it's, it's going to happen. Because of it, my faith in God has grown. I trust him more now than I did prior to getting cancer. Um, because of that, I have a great, great sense and a lasting sense of peace that I did not have before getting cancer and beating cancer. Um, without sounding you know, puffy, I will just say that I have greater authority now in the realm of sickness. I'm, I'm not afraid of it. Um, I know how to go hard after it in my own life if it appears. And I know how to guard, go hard after it on behalf of others. I got some friends right now that have cancer and I know how to pray. I know how to pray according to what they're dealing with naturally, but also know how to pray towards their breakthrough. I know how to counsel. I know how to encourage. I couldn't have done that if I hadn't gone through cancer. Um, I would say that cancer has made me a, a much better husband. I think my wife is getting a different man back. You know, we're about a year um, away from the time period where, you know, I started transitioning out of Newbridge and towards Winder. And I, I feel like I... I've grown as a husband, I've grown as a dad. I think I've grown as a pastor. Um, and so the fruit of, of all of that has been worth it. The fruit's been worth it. And that's what you've got to remember when you're going through your battle. You, you can't taste the fruit usually until the battle's over. And so you have to endure the battle to get that taste of the fruit. And when you start tasting the fruit, you'll look backwards on the battle that you're no longer in, that you've triumphed in, that you've escaped. You'll look back and say, I'm so glad I went through that thing because now I've come out better. So that's my, that's my, that's my story. I beat cancer. And you know what? It's not the biggest enemy I fought. The biggest enemy I fought during the cancer battle was not cancer. It was me. It was my flesh. It was my need to be in control. It was my strengths that I thought were submitted to the Lord, but weren't until I had to completely release them. Cancer taught me that. I didn't learn it on the mountain. I learned it in the deep, dark valley of cancer. But as the Lord said in Psalm 23, he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death, through it. You got to go in it to get through it. My prayers for all of you who are suffering or have loved ones that are suffering, I pray that you remember you're going to taste the fruit on the other end and you're going to be able to have your own testimony about what God showed you in the deepest, darkest part of your life. My time's up. Thanks for listening to Mavericks and Misfits. We'll talk to you next time. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? 
his life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult, serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.